Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. Welcome to a special episode of All About HR. I'm at the Connect CFO and HR Leadership Summit here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, my first in-person concert of the year. Uh, concert? Conference, <laughs> rather. Feels like a concert. Yes. A uh, lot going on here. Um, but already meeting lots of great people. Met Tracy uh, Spondenberg from the HR community uh, a little bit earlier today, which was exciting. But today, I'm joined by Dr. Christopher Lee. He is a PhD in human resource practitioner, lecturer, researcher, and author. His background includes serving as chief human resource officer, various colleges and universities, including Bates College, Virginia Community College System. He is currently a chief human resources officer for William & Mary, and teaches graduate human resource courses as an adjunct professor at the University of Richmond. I met him last night, and I'm super excited to sit down, uh, take on some of his knowledge, talk about developing leaders of the future, and he has a book called Performance Conversations that I am, well, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm always trying to talk about and figure out what to do with performance management today. So please welcome Christopher Lee. Chris, welcome. My pleasure. My pleasure to be with you. Appreciate you, uh, appreciate you spending some time with us today. Uh, you're out from uh, Virginia. Is that where you live full-time? Yep. Is that where you're from originally? Nope. I'm originally from Birmingham, Alabama. Ah, beautiful. I've been to Birmingham. Yes, yes. Uh, it was all tornado sirens when I was there. We were <laughs> locked in our hotel for a couple hours. <laughs> Outside of that, I really enjoyed my trip to Birmingham. Cool, cool. Um, so I want to get right to talking about the book, and then we can move into higher education. Yep. But my first question to everybody is, what are you listening to right now? What I'm listening to right now is probably books on tape. I, I do that a lot. Uh, I'm listening to Daniel Lappin. He wrote a book called Thou Shall Prosper. Uh, he's a, a rabbi, and uh, he has a tagline that everybody needs a rabbi. So he's sharing ancient wisdom about money management from the Bible. Uh, pretty, you know, and so it's pretty interesting and fascinating. Money management from the Bible. I did yes. not. Yes. Give me a little bit of insight you know, there. I think, I, you I, piqued my curiosity. Yeah, I think he. I think he's really taking a Jewish worldview of saying that one of the reasons you know he he confronts the stereotype that that the Jews are good with money, uh, and you know the negative stereotypes and the positive stereotypes around that, saying that there are some reasons why, and they're built upon you know some uh, you know kind of uh, teachings, uh, you know uh, you know ancient teachings, particularly from the Hebrew. And so he introduces uh, different ways of thinking about it and how those ideas have manifest themselves into choices that many might make who have that faith. So it's pretty insightful. You know, it's cultural, obviously spiritual, but really very, very practical. So fascinating book. Yeah, that, I yeah. will look it up. I'll put some links into the yeah. show notes here once we, uh, once we finish recording. But yeah. you've piqued my interest, certainly. Yeah. So you're speaking today at 11 o'clock. Yep. I have a feeling it's going to cross over to a lot of what we're going to talk about with the yep, book. But absolutely. Uh, how are you feeling for that? You ready? Ready. First Good time stuff. taking the stage uh, this year? Uh, you know, no, actually not. The things are starting to open back up. I think last fall they started to open up. I think one of the, the disadvantages having a book that came out in October of 20 
is that the first time to, to actually go on stage and share it was last fall. So a little bit behind, but the book has done extremely well. Uh, you know, as high as the top seven or 8,000 on Amazon, you know, so very proud of that, especially given the, the lack of opportunities to present in public. Now, I've done, you know, dozens of podcasts or video, you know, conference-based stuff, but it's just not the same, right? I mean, I think we all know that, right? So I think, uh, you know, really looking forward to, to uh, today. Excellent. Well, welcome. Uh, welcome to Denver. Yeah. Uh, exciting to have you here. I'm excited to show up for the session. I just had a meeting canceled, so I'll actually be able to make it. Yes, cool. So your book is Performance Conversations, How to Use Questions to Coach Employees, Improve Productivity, and Boost Confidence. Yep. This is a conversation I can't stop getting in because I, I don't have the answer yet. I don't yeah. think a lot of people have the answer. And from yep. our initial conversation you're starting to move to a direction to where I'm starting to go, okay, there's answers out there now. Like, there are answers out there. So you, you left off the last part of the extremely long title, which uh, if you've published a book, you know that, you know, I have four of them. You learn that you don't choose the title. The publisher chooses the title. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. And, and what they say is anybody can write a book, but not anybody can sell a book. So you write, let us sell, right? Uh, and interestingly, when I was, when I was introduced to, to Daniel Lappin's book, the lady asked him, because I was watching one of his podcasts, right. how did you choose the name, Thou Shall Prosper? He goes, I didn't. The publisher did. He goes, I wanted to call it Holy Money. <laughs> and he goes, I'm happy that they chose the title. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so the book, you know, is really 2.0 of a book that I actually published in um, 2006 called Performance Conversations, an Alternative to Appraisal. And I was one of the early thinkers to say that traditional performance appraisals uh, don't work as advertised. As a matter of fact, there's about 50, 75 years of research show that they're debilitating in many di different ways. They demoralize people. Uh, you know, they, they cause all kinds of unintended consequences. They're built upon fundamentally incorrect and false premises, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I was influenced by a book, I think it was called Abolishing Appraisals. Tom Cohen, I think is the name of the gentleman, Mary Jenkins, like 2001. So I've been looking at this literature for 20 years. And so after you figure out, okay, yeah, you know, we talked about this yesterday, they don't work the way they intend, they're intended. Right. So then the question becomes what to do instead. And that's where my contributions to the literature come. So in 2006, obviously, I published that book that creates a framework. This new book extends that and gives you two additional techniques within this overall performance conversation sort of uh, approach to manage and have you know, conversations around performance. The first thing I will say that this is not a performance appraisal. It's a performance improvement system. So full stop. The old methodology was if we give you negative feedback or corrective feedback or whatever the case may be, you, 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 you get religion and you're going to do better next time. Well, first of all, next hour, I'm going to go to a session about millennials. If you give a millennial that amount of negative feedback and say, hunker down and I'll see you next year, Right. They're going to go back to their desk and apply for five more positions and be gone by next quarter. Right. Mm -hmm. Baby boomers, millennials, fundamentally different approach to the workplace. They want coaching and feedback and encouragement along the way. So the book really built upon those three ideas of helping people get better, help people uh, perform better and feel better about their work. And that's the leader's job. The leader's job is to create a context and environment to support people to do their very best work. 
And that's what uh, the, the performance conversations approach is designed to do. I mean, it's, it's, at the end of the day, it's about performance. Giving people good, bad feedback, one thing. Helping people to get better and grow and have better performance in the future yes. is a totally different thing. So, Absolutely. You know, uh, coaching employees, you know, as I'm reading through, and I will read with the yeah. without appraisals next time I uh, yeah. <laughs> read the title all the way through, but, you know, with coaching employees, so let's start with the leadership side. Yeah. What does leadership have to do, and, and what are the best practices for them as they're starting on this journey to do better yes, uh, yes, in yes. this space? So you and I had the luxury of going to a, a presentation keynote this morning, and it was on leadership and team dynamics. And um, I will say that these famous... Uh, leadership gurus, Kuzis and Posner, they say that leadership is an affair of the heart. And they're saying some human dynamic between people, or whatever the case may be. To include with leaders who've never met people, you know, uh, face to face, you know, leaders create a relationship with people and something resonates. So if you think about that context, leadership is about relationships. The performance uh, appraisal evaluation uh, literature leaves out one fundamentally important principle, which is the relationship I have with you colors the feedback that you receive, yes. regardless of what my intent. So I always say that if anybody with two siblings, two coworkers, or two, two friends know that the exact same information shared the exact same way is received differently depending on the, the person's previous relationship <laughs> with the person we're talking about. I love that. That is so, that is <laughs> right. That is so true. It is so true. Like so for example, you got a brother, older brother, one is always picking on you, another one's always supporting you. One says, "Hey, you don't look good in that shirt." And you know, it's fist to cuffs. Another one says, "Yeah, you're probably right." And it isn't the information, it's the relationship. And everything that you and I've been through before. So how can you go into a supposedly performance conversation or evaluation with someone and assume that they're going to receive the way you intend it. You have to work on all that other stuff, and the relationship is a part of that. So understanding and knowing that helps you give feedback and you know direction and things of that sort. And if it's negative, man, it's really hard. Because if I think that you're going to support me, you know, if I, let's assume Chris is sucking wind. He's struggling. He's not getting better. And you want to help me, right? Now, if I think you're going to just use the information against me, you, you could just talk all day long. Because hey, Tom, yep. Tom really doesn't want to help me, man. You know, he's just trying to catch me doing something wrong. Or whatever. Yeah, I've been and there. <laughs> exactly. Like, I know exactly what goes through your head <laughs> in that scenario. <laughs> right? Right? Versus, you know, he's got my back. So then I can be honest and say, you know what? Uh, it ain't the, you know, I always talk about uh, uh, self-evaluations or IQ tests. It's like, let me get this right. So you want me to write down things that I, I have shortcomings in or mistakes I've made and tell you so that you can use it against me, you know what I'm saying, to give me a rating. Nah, I'm going to let you figure that out on your own. Yeah. Now, that's a, a traditional appraisal, a performance conversation. If we have the right relationship, the right framework, I come in and say, I'm, quite, I'm not quite sure. I know you gave me directions. I know you're trying to, you know, you, you, you told me to do this, but I'm just not sure. Can you help me? Or can you tell me that again in a different way? Because yes. I know you're trying to help me. Because we're going to have conversations during the game, not at the end of the game. Yep. And during the game, you're going to say, okay, Chris, you need to do A, B, or C. 
you know, forget about, you know, Z and focus on this right now. So you're going to coach me into great performance versus wait for me to make a mistake and make note of it. Right. right. So all of those dynamics come into play. And if I really believe that you want to help me succeed, then I might tell you if I've done something wrong or if I'm unsure. But if I think you're just trying to catch me doing something wrong, I'm probably going to say, hey, that's your job to figure that out. You yep. know, if you didn't see it, if you didn't notice it, it didn't happen. Right. Well, a lot of that comes down from the top to where you, the managers most of the time giving performance reviews, appraisals, conducting performance management of whatever yes. version. They didn't come up with that system. They're told by someone above them that's told by someone above Absolutely. them. So Absolutely. Absolutely. where does this conversation start at the top and how do you get that to go all the way down? And then once you get that messaging, how do you get that? How do you get those managers all the way right. kind of down or horizontal if it's the, yeah. one of those organizations? So you know, this really happens at three different levels. The way I describe it is that first is the cultural level, right? And then it's, this, it's the uh, supervisory level. And then it's the actual system that you're using to manage performance. The culture manages performance more than anything else because the culture tells you what's good and acceptable, how we do business around here, whether we follow rules or not, or whether the things we say and do are really meaningful. In some organizations, they don't have performance appraisals, but they do quite well. Yeah. Some organizations, you know, it's good enough for government work. Some organizations, quality's job one. The, the, so the organization determines how we see things. And then next is the leaders, the supervisors, the managers, how they view and value the contributions of individuals. Some organizations really don't value individual contributions the same way they view human potential as a commodity that's somewhat fungible or disposable. If you don't do a good job, we'll find somebody else. Some organizations, like, they really believe in their people, right? Absolutely. And then that's a complete different environment to succeed in and work in within. The, the, the speaker this morning gave some examples of that. So in some organizations, they eat their young, right? Some organizations, they yep. build them up. So that governs. And then you have your appraisal system. So you can, so you can think about any way you attempt to manage performance is governed by the leaders and the culture of the organization. So where do you start, right? Yep. You start at the cultural level, ideally, if you had the opportunity of saying, what do we believe about people? What do we believe about performance, et cetera, et cetera. And then we train leaders and everybody agree we're going to perform this way, have these kinds of standards. And then you, you figure out your tool or your methodology. And they should be based upon a set of principles and values within the organization. Yeah, it's interesting. You bring up all the different types of organizations and cultures and leaders. Yeah. They... You go back 10 years, they were all doing the exact same system of performance appraisals. And it's maybe not that that version of appraisals is wrong. It's just wrong for most of the organizations. Absolutely. And how and what they're using. Absolutely. So, you know, you heard earlier, I was a Marine officer. You yep. know, the, you know there, there's no such thing as I tried. It's like you win or die trying, right? I mean, it's like yep. the, the standards in the Marine Corps, unlike any other, other organization I've ever heard of, is really, really high. And the speaker this morning talked about wanting to. The people who join the Marine Corps want to. They want the high demands. Yep. They want the challenge. And the they don't want to settle for less. That's not a good enough for government work kind of environment. No. Right? Now, if you're in a nuclear power plant, you want people to follow the rules. You want to be pretty, pretty specific, you know, specific. If you are in an arts organization, if you're in a nonprofit, right, 
That's a different environment that you're going to manage performance within. So one thing I, I challenge leaders often when I, when I speak, say things like, how would you manage differently tomorrow if you woke up and all of your direct reports were volunteers? Wow. Yeah, that's a... Right? That's a change of mindset. Change of mindset. So people start saying things, well, you know, I would be more appreciative of people's time and effort. I would probably give them more, you know, kind of positive feedback. Whatever. And then, then, then I, 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 the punchline is, of course, this is America, man. There's a whole lot of jobs available. All of your direct reports are volunteers. Absolutely. And, and your first customer. That's what I, I like to talk about, too. Oh, like, I love that. They choose to come into work every day. They can choose to not come into work and go get another job. Like, you have to serve them. They're not there to work for you. You have to serve them because there are options. <laughs> they can do other Absolutely. things. Like, customer I, I number one, that. the employee. I, I love that, you know, they're your, your first customer. I love that because that is absolutely right. So then it fits within the book's framework of a coach. Mm -hmm. And here's what a coach's job is. A coach's job, coach's job is to help other people do their very best work. So, if, so you, right. you know, so Love this it. morning, that's what I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about a skill set, a mindset, and a tool set. That's my my model, right? And so the mindset is, I'm not I'm not the boss. I'm not the supervisor. I'm not the leader. I'm a coach. My job is to help Tom, Chris, Paul, Susan, you know, Sally, do their very best work. Yep. So what can you know? Then I mean, mm, mm. so that means I have to shift how I think and work what tools I use to help that person do better. The 20th century model is kind of like the coach of the football team or the, or the ballet master, you know, looking at a theater group, and that person rules the day and tells, basically talks at the whole group. Mm -hmm. Run hard, do this, perform that way. The 21st century model is really like the tennis coach or the golf coach. The coach hires, I mean, I'm sorry, the athlete hires the coach. Yeah. Because if I could be my best without, you know, on my own, I would just go do it because I'm the best in the world. Yep. However, I'm hiring you who has less ability than I do, less knowledge than I do, because I know that coaching is a process. It's an art, and it adds value. And I need the value that you offer. What are you going to do for me today to help me perform at my highest level? So shifting the framework yeah, is what it's about, right? And so the performance conversations method, you know, I, I describe it as having a series of brief, structured conversations about the things that matter most. So it's a, it's a framework, right? And it, you know, it has several elements. And those elements are feedback, but also feed forward. So we can talk about feed forward. Yeah, feed forward, please. Yeah, yeah. follow up, frequency, and familiarity. We've already talked about familiarity, which is, I told you the biggest gap in management literature, the relationship matters, right? The relationship matters, the relationship matters, right? New relationship, ongoing relationship, senior relationship. I've had, uh, you know, folks I've worked with, I always talk about this lady, her name is Jennifer James. She was, you know, she's a superstar, right? And she ran all the performance conversations, right? You know, because after about two or three, she figured it out. So yep. when, when, it, when it came time, she knew the little protocols that we would follow. And she came in, she sat down, it's kind of like, I'm busy, I got work to do, you know, here's what's going on, here's what I need from you, here's the feedback from, you know, the follow-ups or the previous conversations, whatever. And, and my job was to say, yes, ma'am, okay, good, great, all right, what else do you need? Because my job was to retain her. 
Yes. Right? If you got Michelle on your Jordan on your team, pay attention. Right? And so, but the relationship allowed that. The framework created the opportunity to have that structured conversation. So she was self-motivated. She knew what she needed, right? And my job was to support her the way that she needed to be supported. Some other people need a kick in the butt. Some people need an attaboy every other day, or every other week, or whatever. So yep. everybody's different. So you got to focus on, you know, uh, the framework uh, and the in the relationship in addition to just the feedback, right? Yep. So feedback and feed forward. Feed forward is what I describe as anticipatory adjustment. It comes from the engineering model. Uh, you know, Goldsmith kind of talks about this. One of the first people to talk about it. You know, Marshall Goldsmith. It, it, you think about a car's cruise control. What happens is, uh, as you approach a hill, it's starting to get signals, feedback to say things are slowing down. Yep. So then it accelerates to create adjustments to keep you going smoothly, right? Yep. A modern day thermostat is the same idea. Uh, a nest, you know, sort of thermostat. It's not like the old thermostats. It gets feedback. Oh, the rooms, the rooms now cold. So let's heat it back up. So you're constantly between ideal and good temperature, up and down, up and up, up and down, yep. whatever. The nest says, oh, the temperature outside is going down, right? Indicators there. And so it starts to adjust to keep things smooth. So yep. I'm anticipating, I'm using feedback to make adjustments based upon an ideal sort of thing. And that's what a leader does. A leader says, what's going on now? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? What can we do to seize them, yep. to troubleshoot or whatever? So you take feedback. And then as you just said a moment ago, yeah, I know what I, you just told me what I'm not doing well. Yep. But what do I need to do right? How can I adjust? And that's the helping people and the coaching people. Well, that's, you know, to go all the way down the rabbit hole of your analogy, I used to hate cruise control because it was fine. Then you hit a hill, and all of a sudden my car is at like full red line RPMs just trying to keep me at that. I got a new car a couple of years ago, and I was like, all right, fine, I'll try it. And it was gone. And they figured it out. And that sounds like what you're talking about, that you can't, do feed forward if you're just going to rev the engine and blow the roof off of this thing. Absolutely. You have to be able to calibrate and watch and make it so that it is smooth. It's not this like massive event. Yes. Because even good massive events, like they're not always what you want in the performance world because yep. then it can be distracting positively or negatively. Absolutely. You want to have those small yes. adjustments so that the recipient can take them, digest them, and keep doing what they're doing and moving forward at that consistent clip. Absolutely. You, you use the magic word which is calibration, right? We're calibrating and we're constantly adjusting. And, and it's not in this book, but in the first performance conversations, it talked about, uh, I call it the angle theory of feedback. And it's basically the idea that, you know, you start at the same point, but an angle, you know, the further point in time down the line, the wider the- That's one of my angle. favorite analogies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I love saying? it. So if you make an adjustment here at the beginning, yep. you got a small adjustment to make and you can continuously calibrate to stay on track. But if you wait a little bit, wait a little bit longer, it's further. So use a car as an analogy. Yep. It's almost like the picture of a kid driving, right? You know, a kid pretending to drive. They, 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 they put up their hands like they're on a steering wheel, and they do their hands they back and it. forth. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> you know. But it's, it's kind of like that because you're constantly adjusting to stay in the lane. Because if you are off a little bit, right, driving, right, or the road conditions change yep. or turn, you, you, you kind of – outside your lane. If you wait two seconds, you're in a ditch, right? If you wait five seconds, you know what I'm saying, depending on the, yep. the conditions. So the point is, and then the adjustment is huge, then you overcorrect, right? So the point is, it's about having little iterative feedback 
and feed forward sections along the way. That's the performance conversations approach. It is a series of brief structured conversation. Series being very important. Yes. Scheduled opportunity to give and receive feedback and feed forward. An exchange, a conversation, right? So yep. we're gonna calibrate, right? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes yep. you know we we need to meet often, sometimes we don't need to meet very often. It depends on a couple things. The individual involved, are they a rookie, a veteran, or a superstar? Right, you know, uh, are they a new employee or they're an employee who, who's struggling, or the work? If you're in medicine, uh, computing, technology, you may need to meet more often because the pace of work and change is fast. But if you're in, you know, say, a nonprofit or a traditional um, uh, field that change doesn't happen very often, right? Then you can have wider. It depends on both of those two things, right? Now, most organizations will set a standard that you must have a structured conversations with those you, you, you lead once a quarter or once a trimester, right? That's, I think those are standard. I argue between four and 16 weeks, depending on those factors. Yeah. Right? You know, the individual's needs and the organizational you know, sort of uh, industry in work. You know, I come from the employee engagement space, you know, yes. continuous listening, feedback, new hire, exit, yes. stay, well-being. And there's a lot of crossover there in that we get the question, well, what's the best feedback loop? I'm like, tell me about your organization. Tell me about your people. It's different for different groups. Absolutely. Like, don't ask more questions than you can take action on. Like, sometimes you need to do well-being, and that's not something you've ever done before. Like, 10 questions, how are you doing to build that relationship that you're Absolutely. talking about? And the other thing in my space that a lot of people get wrong and they think that I just like surveys are the king of everything. Like, <laughs> no, people do need a confidential way to give feedback, but it will never replace good leadership, consistent conversations with your, between the leaders and the employees. And a lot of people just assume I'm a survey guy. I'm a continuous listening guy. And I go, no, 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 you can't replace technology. You know, there's a lot of technology in my space that's going, oh, we can ask a question once a week. And we, you know, we can have feedback loops all over the place. And I'm yes. going, no, 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 <laughs> you don't need that. You need managers doing what you're talking about, having these set conversations that meet the needs of those employees, that meet the needs of the organization. You can't replace that with what I'm doing. And I need to say that because a lot of people think that's what I'm talking about. No, yeah. everything works in tandem. Like you do Absolutely. need to collect that confidential feedback to where people can just have a voice. You do need to have those checkpoints. But more importantly, this conversation, you need to have the leaders that are having those coaching, calibrating conversations all along the way. And I'm an HR tech guy. You can't do that with HR tech. You need yep. human beings Absolutely. developing those relationships because it's about the relationship yep. that then opens that feedback loop. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here uh, kind of uh, formulating in my mind the framework that you've described, that the survey is analogous to the organizational listening. Now, while I know that the metaphor creates a nice framework to think about it within, right? You know, that it's, it's having the conversation. Yeah. Right? You know, the survey process and taking that feedback and, and then going doing feed forward, right, to say, oh, I heard you. You're saying A, B, and C. How about if we try this based upon what you've said about wellness and work-life balance and what, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. That's and, interesting, yeah. And for a manager, they can look at 
wow, growth and development for my entire scope of influence. I didn't realize, I thought I did a good job of that. I'm having these conversations. They can now take that, you know, that demographic information and then go back to their one-on-ones and go, hey, you know, we've been having these, like, growth and development, like, that's what this is about. Well, I thought this was a check-in. No, no, this is about you. Let's recalibrate this conversation. Um, Or just even asking. Yes. Do we talk about growth and development enough? Or how can I change these conversations? So that's where I see, you know, those those interactions to where you do need both. And uh, close your ear, CEO of my company, I think the manager conversations are the most important ones to have. Absolutely. Um, We do important work. What you're talking about, I think, is really crucial because that's rubber hitting the road. We give intelligence, you know, like this is where you need to go. Yeah. But the growth and development happens in these relationship conversations. Yeah. Take that information and other information and use it to diagnose what actions or interactions you need to have, you know, going forward. That's that's pretty profound. I like the I like the uh, the, the metaphor and the in the framework because it it makes it much more actionable and, and palatable. Um, because I think people see when they when they see their organization when they think about their company or organization, they think about three parts. They think about their manager, they yep. think about the HR department, and they think about the CEO. Right? They think about that kind of that as kind of the manifestation. Mm-hmm. And the surveys is kind of like the organizational level. Right, you know, yep. and but you need all three. You need all three. Absolutely. You got to calibrate on all three because what's happening in my department compared to another department and how people are treated and how people feel, you know, it all affects one another. They they get to take Friday afternoons in the summer, going back to you know rainy days or yeah, what yeah. the case would be, you know, Friday afternoons in the summer. Uh, but my department doesn't. My manager sees you know remote work this way. This manager sees it that way. All that has to be reconciled, right? You know, yep. and having conversations with people about their needs and wants, and within the framework of what the organization, you know, uh, you know, can support, uh, you know, makes sense. But it's iterative, right? It is. Um, we're gonna take a quick break. We're getting we're getting close to the end, but I want to make sure we uh, get get the HR hot sauce in, and then I want to talk a little bit about developing the leaders since you're in the higher education space. I want to talk a little bit about developing those leaders. So we'll jump in, round out the conversation in just a second. Understand, engage, inspire, and retain your people like never before. People Elements Employee Experience and Engagement Solution delivers powerful intelligence, giving you the confidence to act. To learn how you can gain a better understanding of your employees, please visit us at peopleelement.com. All right, Chris, it is time for the HR hot sauce. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is the best job you've ever had? Best job I ever had was probably being a junior Marine officer. Having the luxury of leading Marines and being young and optimistic and, you know, passionate about what you do and enjoying it. Thank you for your service. That's a good one. What's one phrase at work that drives you nuts? Oh, it's a standard this is how we do it, regardless of how good or bad that is, right? You know, versus being forward-looking and thinking about how to do it better, smarter, faster. Love it. Do you like working on rainy, sunny, rainy or sunny days? Rainy days. Sunny days are for my my old drop top. Oh, what kind of car? Uh, Audi A5 Cabriolet. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yes, yes. You guys show me a picture when we're done recording here. All right. How can someone make your day at work? Showing genuine appreciation for others in the work we do together. Love it. Favorite interview question to ask or be asked? Tell us what we have not asked that would 
further illuminate your background skills and abilities. I like that. That's strong. Yeah. Favorite song to bring you out of a funk? Don Henley's I Will Not Go Quietly. And, you know, it just has a lot of spirit. Yeah. Mild, hot, or nuclear? Oh, mild. All right. Well, we are done with the hot sauce. Right. We'll get back to the conversation. All right. All right, we're back. That was a great hot sauce. Good learning about your uh, cabriolet there. Uh, <laughs> definitely still want to see a picture of uh, picture of that car. I like I like myself a Sunday driver. Yes. Um, but you know, you are the chief human resource officer uh, at William and Mary, and yep. I'm always curious about. You know, I came out of James Madison, another Virginia school. Great education, great business school. I kick butt at Excel. I know some. Uh, uh, statistical analysis. I've got good communications. You know, I, I got all of this out of college. What I didn't get was I got my first management role and went, oh crap! Like, yeah. How do I like? How do I do leadership? And I talk to people in HR, and you know, you don't see a lot of people like I majored in HR. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm always curious whenever I do get somebody in, in in your space. What are the conversations with the leaders of tomorrow, with the college students that are coming out? Like, what's that look like yeah. um, on the educational side these days? Yeah, you know, so this is a this is a little bit out of my area of expertise, but with certainly within the bailiwick, I would make an argument for places like William and Mary, which is we call ourselves a liberal arts and sciences university. The liberal arts are really they're not a lost art, but they're underappreciated art that. The liberal arts are designed to make you a critical thinker, a problem solver, a person who knows how to learn, who can reflect, and who can integrate various kinds of knowledge. Uh, those are the soft skills, and I'm going to give you a different word. Uh, people have reframed the term soft skills yep. uh, to be power skills, right? And power I like skills, that better. yes, power skills are those things that speak to me as a human resources person that we just talked about. It's about relationship, yeah. how you work with others. Are you inclusive? Do you, do you, you know, can you integrate um, uh, information that's seemingly incompatible and reconcile it? Do you have range? Can you do things other than just the technical things and financial things from your, from your experience? Do you understand you know, uh, you know, uh, teamwork and group uh, things? Do you understand systems and how systems work together? Do you understand the socio, what they call it, socio-technical kind of studies where the integration of science and, 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 and kind of behavior with people? So the point is a liberal arts education is designed to do that give you the exposure to different cultures, yep. backgrounds, experiences, the liberal arts, the sciences, the technical stuff, advanced stuff, and integrated. There's this great new book called, I think it's called Range, and it talks about that. It's saying that we may have gone too far as society specializing in the specific, realizing that no specific uh, exists with, uh, other than within the context. So even if you were at Google, I can remember seeing um, Eric Schmidt, you know, when he was CEO, this is, 10 or 12 years ago, talking about the value of the liberal arts. He goes, man, we got some scientists. And he goes, these people here, he goes, and then he, and he kind of put them in groups. He goes, and then the folks in the engine room, he goes, man, they're, you know, they're, they're down to yeah. do some deep stuff. He goes, but quite frankly, they could use a little liberal arts. They could use a little bit ability to get along with one another, to integrate, to be able to, you know, to kind of socialize and work with others in a different way. And they've done all kinds of hard science on managers. As a matter of fact, they went away from appraisals and managers at different times in their career, I mean, in their, their life cycle as an institution, uh, and they did the science on it. They brought managers back, and they brought uh, feedback systems, not appraisal, yeah. kind of performance conversation sort of approach, you know, uh, uh, into what they're doing, uh, because they see the value of it. So that's what you get today if you're focused on the liberal arts 
as well as the sciences and the technology. So STEM is great, but yep. those folks have to have the range and those underlying skills that I think help to integrate it, uh, it all, because that's what an organization is, right? It's a group of diverse stakeholders coming together to combine their talents in such a way that makes a better product than if they were in silos. Yeah, and you know that makes me think that you know, I came out and I felt like I had a really good liberal arts you know, a lot of what you're describing. Yep. I know how to work with people. I know yep. how to do all these things. And as I progressed in my career, I always did really well, but I wasn't getting a promotion over people that I thought I did better. And I think the key differentiator that I, I made a change a couple of years back is something you keep talking about, which is system and framework. Yep. The people that were getting promoted over me weren't better at the job than me, but they were better at creating a framework for what they did. Uh, yeah. And I, I cared about outcomes, and these other folks cared about process. And organizations, yes. they want you to get the outcomes, but when you're trying to get a promotion, you can go, here's my system, and here's how it works, yes. and here's how it goes. Yes. There's the, it moves. So if you can get that liberal arts, you know, th those relationship pieces, yes. and have a system, which is what it seems like you've done with performance conversations, I think that's the sweet spot of driving change is – having real relationships, but having a framework that keeps that organized. You can train to it. You can build it. You can scale it. You can move it forward. Yes. People always understand what that box is, even yes. if the box moves around a little bit. Yeah. People process technology, right? You know, the human, right. you, you know, the human and the, you know, uh, process and the, and the tools, right? Which, you know, ironically is back to my presentation this morning, which is on mindset, mindset skill set, and tool set. So there, there's some, I love it. there's some similarities, <laughs> you know, in that idea. That, that, that was a that was a lob, I guess. Is a lob, well, an intentional no, lob. I yeah. no clue. This is how you know good podcast. It comes all the way right back to uh, uh, right back to kind of the, the central theme. Absolutely. So you know, as we wrap this up, um, you know, what is what's the one takeaway? You're going to speak for an hour. You've got yeah. A, yeah. a a two hundred plus three hundred page book. I'm just eyeballing it here. Yeah. But if you have to distill all this thing down, yes, one takeaway or two, I'll give you two. Yeah. Uh, but what are the what are the two one two? I'm backtracking. I'm left dead at this now. Three takeaways. Yep. Tops. What are the big big three coming out of that conversation? Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, be a coach. That's the first part, which is a person who helps others uh, be the best that they can be and do their very best work. I really think that's what it was down to. Part of this tool set of a coach is to ask questions, right? So uh, questions have tremendous utility, you know, and power uh, because they're embedded in everything we do. A scientist, the whole reason a university exists is to ask a researchable question, a hypothesis, find an answer. Doctors, they diagnose you, you know, with questions. Lawyers, they, 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 they seek truth, you know, and interrogate yep. you with questions. Uh, police officers investigate journalists, et cetera, et cetera. Questions are tremendous power. So support people, ask questions, and then you said the other part, which is listen. That's the relationship, right? If you build a relationship with people, it's relationships first, then it's rapport, then results. So it's kind of a continuum. So those three, I think, are big kind of pillars that will help you and I be better leaders in the 21st century. That is, that's awesome. Dr. Christopher Lee, I appreciate you coming, talking all about HR. I'm really excited for your presentation uh, 
this afternoon, and hopefully we'll stay in touch and maybe do this again. All right, sounds great. All right, let's get back to the uh, Connect HR Conference. Thank you all for listening. Who knows? Maybe we'll get another podcast out of this uh, out of this great conference here. Have a great day. Thank you for learning all about HR. Thank you.